0: I'm Graham Rose, and this podcast follows my attempts to unravel a family mystery. The mystery of the unsolved 62 year old murder of my great uncle. His name was Frederick Walter Jeffs. This story has all the ingredients of a classic film noir. There's the discovery of a dead body in a remote lover's lane. An abandoned, blood-stained getaway vehicle. An innocent-looking business front. A beautiful and elusive mystery woman. There's a little dog, the only known witness, incapable of giving evidence. There's a glimpse into a shadowy underworld and there's a murder weapon, found, and then lost. But my investigations are as much about those on the sidelines, bystanders caught up in the dramatic aftermath of the murder, how the shockwaves of that event impacted on the lives and imaginations of those people, most of whom were just children at the time. Innocence, punctured by an unexplained act of violence. As I scratch at the surface, I keep meeting people who remember the case, who add to a collective narrative beyond the published facts of the police investigation, an investigation that quickly went cold. By piecing together anecdotes and speculations, can we get any closer to completing the puzzle? Surely someone out there knows the truth of what really happened. What we do know is that 62 years after the murder of Fred Jeffs, anyone with a living memory of it will now be in their 70s, 80s or older. Time is running out to find out what really happened to my great-uncle. And I'm making it my business to fit together the fragments of the puzzle by asking who can shed light on the mystery of Fred Jeffs and the sweet shop
1: murder. Just like me down to the shops in Stanley
0: Road... I start by asking what anyone can still remember about that particular place and time. Stanley Road, Quinton, 1957. Next to the ship, I think, was a hardware
1: shop, H.H. H. Reynolds. And the
2: next shop was a junk shop, an um, antique shop.
1: I think next to him, there was a post office. Well, I'm not sure about that.
0: Memory is fragile.
3: It's going back so many years
1: Graham. My memory is... And then we go further down, and I think there was a... Distance. A milliner. Uh,
2: on the end of Stanley Road was Piper's, the greengrocers.
1: Greengrocer. It was Cooper.
2: Not always
1: shop, reliable. shop window
0: at the front. Some memories are locked down fast.
2: A scruffy old shop, but I can still smell it. You know, do you know what I mean? You know how the potatoes and the earth... You you, know, you can still smell the smell of the shop.
3: My mother managed a, gr- a grocer's shop called Sanders, S A N D E R S.
2: It never goes away, does it?
1: Then there was a alleyway for access and behind the shops, and then the first building next to Fed shops, I think, was a uh, hairdresser's. Missus Walker did the ladies' hairdressing in the front of the shop, and you walked through that to found his little barber's area man the
3: back he was a, he was a dreadful person who smoked capstan full strength at the corner of his mouth while he was cutting hair and the hair and he, and he he'd be drinking tea and there would be whole hairs round the top of his <clears throat> i don't know his name
1: i went there for several years having a haircut I'm trying to think what was next to him. It probably might have been the butchers. There was a the butcher's H.J. Lewis. The butcher. And he had, I believe... The chip shop. A small abattoir out there. now. I could be wrong. The cobbler.
2: I remember that. <clears throat> yes, I remember the gesture. The, the grocer. Because <laughs> these local shops... Green were grocer. very valuable to all of us because... The hairdressers. There was very little transport. You didn't go into Birmingham unless you were buying... And ...something very big.
0: The sweet shop.
2: And then I think it was Fred Jeff's shop.
3: And Fred Jeff's shop was there... I remember the sweet shop, I remember going into the sweet shop Mother would give me a few pence and I would go up to Fred Jeff's and get some sweets
0: Jeff's sweet shop was in the middle of the run of shops on number 12 Stanley Road Facing the shop you could see a gully on the right hand side With just enough room to drive a vehicle up it It led to garages at the rear of the shops This detail would become important later These days it's a motor spares and cycle shop, but we'll visit that in a later episode. Back now to the subject of this episode. Maundy Thursday. I first heard the name of Fred Jeffs when I was about 10 or 11. I'd been asking about my grander's war years. His name was Doug, and he died a few months before I was born. I knew that he'd been a prisoner of war at an industrial processing site near Auschwitz, and that he'd survived a notorious death march back into Germany. But I was baffled when my nan told me that he'd spent time in the same POW camp as his younger brother, Fred. Up until then, I didn't even know he'd had a brother. So who was this Fred? Why did he have a different surname? And what had happened to him? My nan never gave much away when it came to personal information. The combination of wartime and motherhood had hardened her. She disapproved of gossip and any whiff of scandal was to be brushed under the carpet. Nonetheless, to satisfy my curiosity, she dug out a copy of a police journal from 1971. In it, Chief Superintendent W. Worrell had written an article entitled, Murder by Some Person or Persons Unknown. The apparent details of an historic murder case were laid out, the killing of Fred Jeffs. In May 1953, Fred, encouraged by his wife Betty, opened Jeff's Sweet Shop to capitalize on the end of sweet rationing. It was just in time for the Queen's coronation the shop was at number 12 Stanley Road, Quinton, one of the vast, sprawling interwar estates which pushed the city boundaries, allowing a growing population to escape the inner city back to backs. Helped out in the shop by his mother in law, Mrs. Cooper, half sister Ivy, and a part time assistant, Maureen, Fred Jeffs was running a tidy business, serving up the perfect antidote to 50s austerity. Sweets and chocolate. When the wind was right, all within smelling distance of the Bluebird Toffee and Cadbury's chocolate factories.
2: Clearly, I can see the counter and the dog. Yes, and, and ser- being served. And, Youngsters at the you time know, the remember
0: the shop affectionately.
1: I said to recall being a very clean, bright, attractive shop. All the bottles of sweets, beautifully displayed. I said to remember lots of them. The, I remember
2: uh, the. The floor was like tiled, a tiled type of floor, that would be mopped, presumably. And the counters were all, all wooden, spotlessly clean.
1: And the scales used to have the, you know, the chrome plates um, or well, stainless steel side with the big cups on to put the sweets in.
2: And then there was all the shelves on the walls. There was all the jars of, you know, different sweets. And... Uh, it was more modern, you see, the shop in Stanley Road. And there was more jars of sweets, you know? Actually, it was quite a big shop, really. Bigger than
3: you'd imagine for a sweet shop. And I I sort of remember, I think, I'm not certain, he made his own ice cream.
0: In the sweet shop calendar, Easter is a busy time of year. And on that particular Maundy Thursday, the 18th of April, 1957... Local folk were queuing up to mark Easter in that most familiar of ways, by buying chalky
2: Easter eggs for me. A... But the Cadbury's chocolates were, were there always. Boxes of chocolates and all that sort of stuff. Uh, my favorite, marzipan. They did even marzipan chocolate in those days.
0: With Good Friday a bank holiday, Maundy Thursday's one of the busiest, most lucrative days of the year, with the neighborhood clamoring for their Easter eggs. Fred's mother-in-law and Ivy have been helping out in the shop, but no sign of Betty, as the couple had separated six months previously. At 8am, the shop was open and ready for business. Perhaps it was the stress of the endless queues on that day, but customer Elsie was there with her young family and remembers Fred being quite troubled on that maundy Thursday. And
2: you said to me, I didn't know, he said, Doc, will you shut that door? Please shut that door. And a neighbour, I bought two now, it's today. And a neighbour said two were to me. She, I don't know what's the matter with that drink. he said. He told to, to everybody who was in, to keep the doors locked. So he must, he must have had something knowing. Know something
0: he must have had something knowing, she says. But what does she mean? Her son helps to clarify. He knows something about what was going to happen to him, What could Fred have known? Was he in trouble? Sister Ivy also had an inkling that all was not well, as her son Roger recalls.
3: She knew something was going on, but Fred never said anything. She couldn't prize any information out of him, so she knew something was happening.
0: At about 7 p.m. that evening, an unknown, elegantly dressed young woman, aged about 20, 22, five foot two inches tall, comes into the shop and Fred immediately serves her with some chocolates. Ivy's attentions are drawn to Fred mouthing the words, I'll see you later. She didn't recognise the girl, and had never seen her before.
3: Mother knew he'd got a girlfriend. Nobody ever saw the girlfriend, nobody ever met the girlfriend. But Mother knew he'd got a girlfriend. Again, being a little bit pacific, because she washed his clothes.
0: The laundry betraying Fred's secret, it seems. And not just lipstick on his collar. Sister Ivy reportedly left the shop at 7.30pm, with Fred Jeff's last to leave at 9. Ten minutes later, he was seen driving his Austin A30 van from the rear of the building down the side alley before heading off. His regular routine was to exercise his black poodle, Perro, in Wally Woods and often, on Thursdays, to go to the pictures at the nearby Wally Odeon. What really happened, though, is the subject of varying conjecture. There's a missing two hours. According to witnesses, at about 10.30pm, there's a sighting of Fred's stationary van with its distinctive number plate, TOM89, parked up in Vicarage Road, Langley, two miles north of the shop. Also sightings around about the same time of Perro, the dog, wandering in an agitated state, collarless, in Reservoir Road, Langley. Soon after this, about 10.45pm, there's a different sighting of the van. A young man, neighbour of Fred's, returning from the Odeon, sees it parked up behind the shop, but, significantly, parked in the opposite position to the way Fred would normally park when loading up from the garage. Walking past the van, the boy remembers hearing the rattle of keys and the slam of the door. He sees that there's a man sat in the driver's seat. But he can't tell who. The figure is obscured. About 15 minutes later, at 11 o'clock, Fred's brother-in-law, living at number eight, returns on his motorbike up the alley to the rear of the family haberdasher's where he lives. But he notices no vehicle parked at the back of number 12. Has the van been driven into Fred's garage?
2: Hello, Graham. Um, I believe you're investigating the murder of Fred Jeffs. I was actually out with my mother on the night of the murder. We'd been to the cinema and we were coming home. Um, The police came round to interview us about it. Um, That's what I can tell you of my experience. I was only 11 at the time.
0: Ten minutes later, at about 11.10pm, a woman passing the shop sees the van emerge from the driveway. The van halts and idles. A young woman emerges from the shadowy recess of the sweet shop entrance. She closes the door behind her and runs round to the passenger side of the van. She gets in and the van drives away, turning left in the direction of Hagley Road. Several hours later, possibly four or five a.m., a man on his way to work to the early shift at Mitchell's and Butler's Brewery in Cape Hill reports seeing an Austin van of the same description and hearing the screeching of tyres along Halfords Lane, Smithick as their van heads north in the direction of the Albion Ground. The next sighting of the van will be around 6am on the morning of Good Friday. It's discovered abandoned in a side alley off Brantley Road, Witten, under the shadow of the Villa Ground and the vast Imperial Metals Complex, some seven or so miles away as the crow flies from Stanley Road. Cold daylight reveals blood splattered across the offside wing suggesting that an attack has taken place, and a mixture of blood and vomit in the rear of the vehicle that someone has vainly tried to wipe up. Whoever's been attacked was dragged into the back of the vehicle, where they made a temporary recovery, spilled the contents of their stomach, and then succumbed. The police forced their way into the shop and upstairs flat trace back to the owner of the vehicle at number 12 Stanley Road. All is undisturbed. The bed's not been slept in. The police issue an appeal. Where is Fred Jeffs? To find out what happens next, join us for episode two, the short Good Friday. Fred Jeffs, The Sweet Shop Murder is created by me, Graham Rose, with original music and sound designed by Fox and Russia, and direction from Steve Johnston. This podcast series is made possible with the support of Black Country Touring and the original theatre production was supported by the Birmingham Rep and the Arts Council of England. If you'd like to rate, review or tell us who done it, please get in touch. Hashtag Fred Jeffs.